Can you guys hear me? Awesome. All right. Hey guys. Uh, hello, everyone. Hope you guys are doing good. Um, are you guys excited for the launch? Are you guys excited for the launch? Yeah, dude, we're launching in like four weeks, um, which is crazy. And I just wanted to take this time to remind us how important it is that we, I think we should pray uh, over the next few weeks, particularly as we, uh, you know, prepare for the launch. It's a little plug for the prayer meeting that's happening this Friday. Please, please, please block it out and come out and join us as we pray together as a community for the church. Please come. It'll be highly encouraging for Pastor Paul. Um, but don't just come for that. Come because you want to pray. All right. So um, I haven't given Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8 to uh, unpack with you guys today. And the title that I've, um, the title for today's talk will be Rebuilding the People. Rebuilding the People. But before we dive into today's text, let me just give us a quick recap of what, what's happened so far. So I think I can summarize the first six chapters of Nehemiah like this. Nehemiah's conviction, Nehemiah's action, and Nehemiah's determination. We see in chapter one, Nehemiah hears about the people of God, people, his people in the city of Jerusalem, and he hears that they're struggling. Um, and so ignited with a conviction to go restore his people, to go restore his nation, because he loves his people, he gets into action. Uh, he approaches the king humbly, and he asks if he can return home and rebuild his city. And by God's grace, uh, the king allows for him to take a bunch of people uh, back home uh, to rebuild his city. And so they go. Uh, and once they arrive in Jerusalem, Nehemiah gets to work. He goes and starts rebuilding the city walls. And despite the various oppositions that he faces, uh, he shows his determination by pushing through. And by the end of chapter six, we learn that the wall is finally complete. And that's where we are today. Now, let me show you guys a quick video uh, as we move on. Hopefully the sound works. Let me know if it doesn't. Sounds not working. Okay, that's what I was trying to do before. Ah, share computer sound. All right, here we go. Let's try this again, guys. Smile out of you. You're up 2-0. What's the story? Are you not happy or you're only half happy or? Stay to be happy about. You're up 2-0. Job's not finished. Job finished? No, I don't think so. Okay. Did you guys get that? So for those of you who don't know, this is a very famous clip of a basketball player named Kobe Bryant who in an interview after uh, winning the second game of the NBA Finals in 2009, uh, responds to a reporter asking, are you happy? Why aren't you smiling? Are you not happy? Um, and he says, no. Um, because his goal was never to win two games in the finals, but his goal was to win it all. Uh, when the reporter asks, are you happy? He goes, no, why should I be happy? Because the job's not finished. And um, this is kind of what came to my mind when I thought about what Nehemiah might be feeling or thinking at the end of chapter six. Because his desire, his conviction, if you remember from chapter one, it was never to rebuild the wall. It was to restore the people of God for the glory of God. You see, his heart broke, uh, not just for the physical city that was in ruins, but his heart broke for his community that was without their home, without their city. And that's why he goes home and begins to rebuild the walls. The walls were just a stepping stone in order to uh, restore his people. And so in his eyes, in Nehemiah's eyes, the job was not finished. The war was done, but the community now needed to be restored. 
And, you know, when I think about our church plans, uh, there are so many administrative things that we need to get done, um, whether that be legal matters, financial matters, matters of real estate, uh, ministry structures, and so on and so forth. And I think the temptation will be that once we get those things done and once we get those things set, that our job is done, right? And that we are now a church and we can just cruise from now. And in some ways, that's true. Uh, legally speaking, we will be a church. Uh, but if we really think about the purpose, the true purpose for which we have gathered as a church, and the reason we have all come out to plant this church, we cannot be satisfied with just building a wall, figuratively speaking. I mean, imagine one day, by the grace of God, we actually do get to build our own church building, and that would be so amazing. But we cannot be satisfied with that alone. We cannot be satisfied with that alone because our conviction here is not to build a church building, as great as that would be. Our conviction is not to have a cool name with a cool logo, as great as that would be. Our conviction as a church is to see the gospel revive our generation and beyond. That's what we've committed to together as a community. And for that to happen, more than the outer structures of the wall, as important as those things are, I think, I believe it is more important that what happens inside the walls, right, inside the church, the culture that we build and prepare within our community. And that's what I think our passage today helps us focus on. If the first six chapters of Nehemiah was about the outside, the building of the wall, what we'll see in the second half of the book is the focus shifts to look inside the building of the people. And that's what Nehemiah has always been about. He's always come, he came back home and his desire was always to restore his people. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, chapter seven is very important, but it's more of a transitional chapter. Then the other chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip chapter seven today and we're going to focus more on chapter eight. But quickly, let me tell you what happens in chapter seven. So in chapter seven, verse four, after the walls are built, this is what Nehemiah says. He says the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few um, and no houses had been rebuilt. So imagine a brand new city was built, right? A brand new wall. Uh, the temple's restored. The, the, the roads are clean but there are no people living yet. Well, this is the picture that we see in chapter seven. This was the state of Jerusalem because un until not long ago, the, the city was a ruin. So everyone lived outside the city, but now that the city was rebuilt, it was time to bring the people back in. And so almost, almost like moving back home after a renovation, uh, Nehemiah 7 records Nehemiah going out and just bringing the people of God back into the city, right? Back into the city. And it's just this long list of people who have been waiting for the city to be rebuilt. And some of them have been waiting for like 90 years. They're being brought back into the city. And so there's a sense of excitement and anticipation in the air in chapter 7. Kind of like a church launch. Because uh, the, the day that they've been waiting for has finally come. So it's a really exciting chapter, chapter 7. And now that the people were inside the city, the restoration of the community could begin. And chapter 8 it shows us what they begin to do in order to rebuild their community. And Kingsway, as a new church plant, uh, building this community, you and I, as a people who are seeking to be a church that truly embodies the purposes of God, I think this chapter is such a good lesson for us to learn how we can go about building our godly community. And so let's see what they do and let's learn from them. The first thing these Israelites do as soon as they get together is they return to the word. They return to the word. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and all the people gathered as one man, which means they were unified, right, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had 
commanded Israel. You see, if there's anything that these people wanted to prioritize in the, in the first steps of rebuilding their community, it was to come back to the word of God. They recognized how important this was for them. So they demanded that the word be preached for, to them because they were convinced it would completely transform them. And not just the leaders, right? It says everyone, right? Imagine like the whole community come together with one loud voice and they're screaming, you know, preach to us. Give us the Bible. We want the word. And I think that's crazy because most people don't want to hear the Bible, right? Most people think like they don't like it when the sermon is too long. Most people zone out when, when the, the preaching happens. Maybe you're zoning out right now. And I think that's because we lack the understanding of how important the word is for building our community. And perhaps it is also because we underestimate the power that scripture can have to transform us and therefore transform our community. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17 here, where Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, Paul here says that the word, breathed out by God is the key to becoming Christians who are complete and ready to do the work of God. And I think the people of Israel knew this. And so at the forefront of the community's rebuild, they call out the preaching of the word. They prioritize the word. And that's the culture that they begin to set as they restore their community together. Brothers and sisters, let me remind us again. This is really important. Our mission statement at Kingsway is to see the gospel revive our generation and beyond. And our vision statement is to love the king and live his way. And when I think about the kind of culture that we need to build in order to achieve these things as a community, I think one of the obvious things is that we should be a church that returns to the word again and again and again. That we be a church that not only cherishes the word, but actually prioritizes the word in all things we do. Why? Simply because I don't think we'll be able to accomplish this mission and vision without it. Because it is the word that makes us complete and ready to do the work of God, as Paul says. And so how will we see the gospel revive our generation and beyond without remembering the gospel ourselves? Right? How will we love the king without truly knowing the king? How will we live his way without opening up the book that he has given to us to show us the way? Kingsway, for our success, I believe that we need to discipline ourselves and learn to say what these people said in our passage today. Bring the book. Bring out the book. Where is the book? We need the word. Where is the word? Give us the word. Because we're so convinced that it is the word that will transform lives in this community. And it is the word that will convict us to go out and do great things for the Lord. Do you believe this? Do we believe this? And I pray that we would. I pray that we as a church would be one that knows how to return to the word again and again and prioritizes the word in the building of our community as we set culture at the beginning phases of our church. But you know, the reality is most of us know that the word is good for us, right? Uh, but the problem is that we aren't moved or changed by it. And that is why I think it's really important that we notice that the Israelites, not only did they return to the word when they gathered, but they also received from the word. 
Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, it says this. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You know, there's a difference between working really hard to listen to something and understand something and just sitting and cruising through something. I'm sure all of us have experienced at least once the feeling of uh, sitting through a uni lecture or even a church sermon and we can't remember a thing, right? Like it just goes right over our heads. Why is that? You know, I've seen the same people who can't remember anything from a sermon uh, go and watch a movie that night and remember every little detail from that movie, like what color the shirt of the main character was. And what's the difference? Well, firstly, the movie is fun. I get that. But also, I think this is the power of attention. The Bible says that Ezra read from morning until midday. He's reading the Bible and preaching from it for hours and hours. And yet it says that the ears of the people were attentive. You know, we all know the word is good for us. None of us have a problem with sitting through a sermon a week. But how many of us come to church or come to the Bible like ready to receive? Leaning in and seeking to learn and seeking to grow through the word. You know, as somebody who preaches, I can tell who those people are that come ready to receive. It shows in their body language, it shows in their attitude, and it shows in their response. People who are ready to receive are physically engaged, right? Obviously, it's a bit harder to see over Zoom, but they're they're the people who are sitting up, like leaning in, eyes locked, right? Nodding their heads. People who are writing notes sometimes. And even occasionally the people who would audibly respond with an amen or like a mmm of agreement, right? Now, I'm not saying we need to do these things, um, but at the same time, I do think some of these things would greatly benefit some of us as we approach the Bible and particularly approach the preaching in our church. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. They stood up. You see, this is, this is an attitude, right, of the people who are not only ready to receive, uh, not, only, not only revere the word, but are ready to receive from the word. And brothers and sisters, what is your attitude like right now? As we look through the Bible today and as we read through the word of God today, are you leaning in, Right? Are you figuratively standing up to hear the word? Are you asking the Lord in your heart, what are you trying to teach me today? Are you you seeking to find meaning and purpose in the time of of this preaching? Or are you just waiting for this time to finish so you can go have lunch? You know, a lot of times we blame the speaker um, for getting nothing out of a sermon. And, you know, that may be true sometimes. But then I've also seen people sit through the most dry and boring sermons and yet receive life-giving convictions through that time. And the difference was that they were looking to receive. They were hungry to receive. And Kingsway, I, I believe that you have a part to play in how you receive from the word of God preached every week. And if you know that you particularly struggle from receiving the word, then I urge you to do something about it. 
You know, taking notes is one of the most simple but effective ways of changing how we listen to a sermon. Take notes. It'll help you. It'll help you remember things. It'll help you focus. When we do gather in person, right, where we sit actually helps in how we hear the sermon. And so sit somewhere where you'll have less distraction. Put your phones down. Have physical Bibles so that we have less excuse to look at our phones. I don't know. There are physical, there are practical things like this that we can do to help ourselves from receiving from the word. So I encourage you guys today to do those things. Because what we see in our passage is that when we actually receive from the word, then we will be blessed and we will be moved as the people of Israel were. Look at that, look at Nehemiah 8:6. And it says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I love this, right? Just a picture of a passionate people praising the Lord as they hear from the word. When was the last time you guys came out of a sermon and you just felt moved in your heart and blessed and you wanted to praise the Lord? When was the last time you heard that God loves you and he's forgiven you and then you just wanted to respond with singing and praise and celebration? You know, just personally, I would love to see our church become a more interactive church like this. Saying amen out loud in agreement. Raising our hands in surrender. Clapping and celebrating during praise. Just being unhinged with thankfulness and joy in the Lord. I think there is something so powerful and encouraging about a culture like this. But I think for us to get there, I truly believe we need to first learn to receive from the word. Because at this church, we don't want random passion. We want to see passionate theology, passion driven by the word. It's one of our values, church values. So Kingsway, I, I encourage you guys, I urge us, lean in. Let's practice leaning in so that we might receive from the word week in and week out and then be transformed to praise and celebrate God extravagantly because we understand what the word is saying to us and what what God has done for us. Lean in. Uh, But also, just quickly, it is also our duty as pastors, as preachers, and as leaders to bring to you the word in a manner that is understandable and relatable. Nehemiah 8.8 says this, they read from the book, the book of the law, clearly, and they gave the sense that the people understood the reading. This is Ezra and his leaders, and Ezra uh, taught, as he taught and preached from the Bible, right? He and his leaders went around expounding and explaining the text so the people would understand. And, you know, there are a few theories for this. Maybe it's, it's because of a language issue. Or maybe it's a theology issue. They don't understand the theology. I don't know. Uh, But whatever the case, the point is that the leader's desires was to make it as easy as possible for the people to receive the word. So that they might be led to God. It's also interesting, I think, that Ezra is the one here who is preaching rather than Nehemiah. Even though it's the book of Nehemiah. That's because Ezra was trained. He was probably more eloquent. He had more experience in doing this. And so Nehemiah, he steps aside and he lets Ezra do the teaching because it was about the people receiving the word. And I, as preachers, I believe it is our duty to bring to you the word with prayer and by the spirit, with clarity and expression in a manner that helps you receive from the word. So I didn't get past the permission to say this, but 
help us by telling us how we can help you. Do I talk too fast? Let me know, right? Do, is it hard for you to understand what the point of the sermon is? Let us know, right? Could we tell less stories or tell more history or go through the text in a more deep way? I don't know. Talk to us and, and, and let us know what you think might help you. Obviously, in a loving and gracious manner, please, right? But help us that we can be better preachers for you. And, and more importantly, pray for us, please. Pray that we might be effective and impactful preachers for the church and for the glory of God, particularly as we open up the church to non-believers, as we, as we bring friends to our community. Pray for us that we, as the people who have been called to handle God's word, might do so with clarity and power. And in so doing, I believe that we'll be able to set an even healthier culture of receiving the word together at our church. As the pastors work to be more clear, and as the congregation works to lean in more, I think in this way we'll be able to grow in our understanding of the word together and build a community of the word, just as the people of God did in Nehemiah. And this is so important because it is only when we return to the word and we receive from the word, as we see, that we are, led, we are then led to respond to the word. So the people of God came to, they come to the rebuilt city and they gather together to rebuild their community. And the first thing they do is they cry out for the word, right? Because they know how important God's word is. And as they receive from the word, right? In the second half of chapter eight, we see a beautiful scene of the people being led to respond to the word in various ways. And the first response we see is a response of repentance. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. The law here, the book of Moses here, meant the first five books of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Pentateuch. So the people here are hearing the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy read to them and preached to them. And as they hear, they are hearing about a great God who made the world, created humanity, and then invited them to be in perfect relationship with him. They hear of the fall of humanity as sin enters the world through deceit and disobedience, and they witness the corruption of humanity as they turn their back on God. They hear of all the laws and how far they have fallen from righteousness and how far they are from God. And they are reminded of their forefathers' sins that led them into slavery and captivity. And as they hear all this, the people are broken. The Bible says they all wept as they heard these things. They are reminded how unworthy they are, how truly far they are from God, and how much help they need, and they weep. And this is what the Bible does. It shows, it shows us a picture of our brokenness. And reveals to us our sins as we stand before a perfect God that we cannot reach by ourselves. And in this way, it leads us to repentance, to turn back to him. And that's what we see in our passage today. The people weeping and turning back to him. And this repentance by God's grace, then it can be followed with rejoicing. Which is what we see in, chapter, uh, in, in the next few verses of chapter 8. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The people, the leaders say, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink 
to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the word that was declared to them. Seeing the people crying, grieving over their brokenness, Nehemiah and the leaders come and remind the people that this is a day of celebration. Don't cry, it's a day of celebration, right? Because our city has been rebuilt. We are gathered here again. The promises of God are coming to fruition and he is with us today. So find your joy in the Lord. Find your joy in his promises today. Celebrate, rejoice. And that's what the people do. They go out with joy and thankfulness on their hearts as the gospel of grace right, is preached to them. They go out celebrating, looking to the God of grace who has redeemed their city and is redeeming their community. And again, this is what the Bible does. It shows us the God of grace. It shows us the God of second chances, a God who does not leave us in our despair. And it gives us a reason to rejoice in the Lord in all seasons of our lives. And so they rejoice. And then, and only then are we ready to have our lives reformed and changed by the word of God, which is what happens in the last section of chapter eight. Nehemiah 8 verse 13 to 14, 13, sorry, it says this. And on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, and in, or, in order to study the words of the law. So the people had such a good time at the gathering yesterday. They enjoyed hearing the word and they were so moved to thankfulness and joy that the very next day, a bunch of men get together to study the Bible. They get together for a, a men's Bible study. And in the Bible study, they read about some things in the Bible that they have forgotten about. Verse 14. And they found, in, found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. You know when you read the Bible and you're reminded of things that you should do, but you haven't done in a while? Well, that's what happens in our passage today. The people, as they read and study the Bible, they, they read about the tradition of booths, which was quite simply an act of worship in which the people would leave their homes, leave their houses, go build little huts and live inside them for a while. Now, the purpose of this was twofold. It was firstly to remind the people where they had come from, a place with, without a home, a place in the wilderness, but now that God has redeemed them. But also the booths were to remind them that life here in this world is just temporary. It's like living in a hut. And there is a heavenly home that we are ultimately waiting for. It's a really beautiful thing. And so after they read this in the Bible, the people immediately respond with application. And they, and they go and allow the word to reform their lives and change their behavior. And they go and make booths. Verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. And there was very great rejoicing. And in their obedience... The Bible says they found great rejoicing. You know, people could have complained. Why do I have to leave my house and go live in a hut for a few days? What's the point of this? We haven't done this in ages. Why are we doing this now? They didn't complain. They went and applied the word and obeyed the word. And in it, they found great rejoicing. And again, that's what the Bible does. It leads us to obey and live in a manner worthy of God. And ultimately, it leads us to find joy in the aligning of our hearts and our lives with God's will. Brothers and sisters, the Bible has been given to us for God's glory and our good. I want us to remember that. I think a lot of times we look at the Bible as, you know, kind of God's, 
you know, like kind of like giving us rules and like boundaries to live under. But it has been given for God's glory and our good. It has been given so that by reading it, we might be reminded of how far we fall from the glory of God. That we might be uplifted then in our brokenness by the grace of God, as we're reminded of how great God's love and grace is for us. And that by reading, we might find our way to living a life that is truly pleasing to the Lord and find the fullness of life that God has promised us in his word through his son. And that is why our chapter today ends with great rejoicing amongst the people of God, for that is the power that the word can have in the community. And honestly, if if I'm honest with you guys, as I was reading this and studying this, I was really, I felt convicted and I felt humbled. Because, you know, when I think about the the things that I want to see in our church, it doesn't necessarily start with the word. I think about, you know, having great cool events, awesome praise music, you know, like really like cool vibes and fun. I don't know, logo, I don't know. Like I think about all those things that might make our church a cool church and an awesome church. But as I read this, I realized for our community to come to a place of great rejoicing, right, of great, uh, where we are reformed truly in the, in the word and changed and transformed, ready to go and make impact in the world. It really has to begin with the word. And so my prayer is for us is that we might become a church like this, that we might be a community that rejoices in the word as we're reformed and as we, are, uh, as we practice responding to the word as the word is preached each week. Let's put the word first. Let's prioritize the word as we start off our church. Kingsway, it has been a long and dry year of waiting and preparing, I know. But the day has finally come. Isn't that crazy? We're launching in four weeks. I almost feel like, I mean, I'm sure everyone agrees. We all, I almost feel like unready for it, right? Uh, we're starting, finally starting our church. And I pray that this word today might be a great reminder to us that just because we start in the next four weeks later, the job is not finished. Now it's not time to cruise now, right? But the job has just begun. I, I actually think it's a really timely word for us because in the midst of the busyness of all the church prep that we need to do, I think we can lose focus of what's really important for our community. As we consider the culture that we want to set in this church, in this new church, and the godly community that we want to build here at Kingsway, Why don't we practice together returning to the word of God? And why don't we work together on receiving from the word of God so that we may be changed in ways that we feel that might be impossible for our community as we are led to respond to the word of God. And if we are able to build a church like this, I am certain we will be successful in not only loving the king and living his way, but also seeing the gospel cause some real impact in our generation and even beyond it. Amen? Amen. So let's get close to our Bible. I don't know, that's, that's, yeah, that's my message <laughs> to me and to us as a church. Um, so some of the questions that I think would be nice for us to discuss in our groups today is this, uh, what kind of culture would you like to see built within Kingsway? Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be just about the word, but maybe think about, you know, the kind of things you want to, you know, you dream to see in this community that you've always wanted to see in this church? And secondly, in what ways do you think prioritizing the word in our community might help achieve whatever it is you want to see? And what does that look like, do you think? 
uh, whether it means we become a more welcoming church, a, pr- a more passionately praising church, whatever it looks like. Um, how do you think, you know, prioritizing the word will help that in our community? Um, if you guys could spend some time talking about that, that would be awesome. All right, let's break off into our groups. Thanks, guys.